Welcome to Undiscarded, Stories of New York. On today's episode, we're taking a field trip out of the reliquary in the borough of Brooklyn and across the river to Manhattan, then way uptown to the corner of 77th Street and Central Park West. Our studio today is in the South Gallery on the first floor of the New York Historical Society, the city's first museum established back in 1804. Here, an item from the reliquary's permanent collection is on loan for the exhibition. I'll have what she's having, the Jewish deli, which is on display until April 2nd, 2023. This show is a celebration of a uniquely American form of restaurant created by a group of immigrants that had an enormous impact on the culture and history of New York City and the country as a whole. These immigrants were the Yiddish-speaking Ashkenazi Jews that hailed from Eastern Europe and arrived in the city in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. The object we're here to look at is an enormous white neon sign, around three feet high and 10 feet wide, spelling out the letters second av in a typeface designed to look a lot like Hebrew letters. They're missing four letters, you should say, deli, (laughs) D-E-L-I. They are, they couldn't salvage the deli. Of course, this is part of the signage that hung outside the famous 2nd Ave Deli in its original location at the corner of 2nd Avenue and East 10th Street in what is now called the East Village. At the time, this was the center of the Yiddish theater district of the Lower East Side. Was this sort of Hebrew style of lettering common for delis or did you guys come up with it? My brother came up with it. It has a Hebrew look, and some people actually think that these are Hebrew letters. They don't realize (laughs) it's English, the regular alphabet, but done in this Hebrew style. It's very unique. (laughs) It's very unique, and when you look at the sign, even if you can't read, you know what you have. That's the great thing about the letters. You know it's a Jewish place to come and eat. That's the voice of Jack Liebewald. He inherited the deli in 1996 after the tragic passing of his brother Abe, who founded it back in 1954. Did you know this had been saved when the original location had been yes. shut down? Oh. Yes. It was because of us, actually. Really? As far as I was concerned, it was historical and had value. And I understood the meaning of Second Avenue Delhi to New Yorkers, and even to Americans, not just New Yorkers, because we have people coming in from all over the country and the world to eat at Second Avenue Delhi. When most New Yorkers these days hear the word deli, they probably think of a carryout food counter in the back of a convenience store or bodega. They serve coffee, egg and cheese sandwiches in the morning. Heroes the rest of the day, maybe alongside a salad bar and some steamed table-style prepared foods. There are thousands of these around the city, one on just about every commercial block. For the rest of the country, Delhi is a place in the supermarket you go to to buy cold cuts, sliced cheese, and pre-made potato salad. 
But the word deli, or rather delicatessen, which means something like fancy eats in Yiddish, originally signified something very different. It was a sit-down restaurant serving a very specific type of cuisine. Sandwiches, yes, but these were usually house-made meat, like corned beef, pastrami, and beef tongue, slow-cooked, tender, and extremely different from what you'd find at the deli counter of a mainstream supermarket. These were served alongside traditional rye bread, horseradishy mustard, and many variety of homemade pickles. Further down the menu would be staples of turn of the 20th century Yiddish home cooking that are extremely hard to find anywhere nowadays, even in New York. And for decades, these restaurants were the center of Jewish American social life. Delhi was a place not just to come and have a corned beef or pastrami sandwich. People would come to the deli and eat their meals at the restaurant. We had customers who would come in five, six, seven days a week to eat wow. by us. <laughs> Literally almost every day. And the menu was broad and they had something different every day. Well, I heard that was kind of the magic of the Jewish deli is that it was a gathering place, you know, especially with the first wave of immigration, um, you know, they weren't necessarily accepted everywhere, so. I can't answer about being accepted, but they came to the deli because it was theirs. This was their food, their culture, and they didn't feel they were eating in strange surroundings. I've gone into fancy restaurants, and maybe I felt even a little bit uncomfortable. But when you eat in the deli, you don't feel uncomfortable. You feel like you're eating at home, and no one's going to question you. What are some of your favorite foods from the deli? It's almost everything. I, I love the stuff. And unfortunately, some of the dishes we can't even serve anymore because the customer base of the deli has ch totally changed. Where before we could serve flanken, goulash, chicken fricassee, stuffed cabbage, all of our soups, the gefilte fish, the chopped liver. Oh God, am I getting hungry? <laughs> I'm getting hungry too. <laughs> I didn't get I didn't get the liver and the tongue. That's what I'm gonna do next time. That's the what chop, I wanted to get. <laughs> the chopped liver and the tongue to die for. I'm ac you're actually reminding me of two customers, a father and son. Father was a widower. The son was a bachelor. The son actually worked as a uh, security guard in the courthouse. And they would come to the deli, I would say, five, six days a week, most probably. And we had a waitress by the name of Selma. And all she handled was the counter. They walk in, they just go right to the counter, and they sit down there. Selma goes over to them, and she doesn't even give them a menu. They just sit down there, and she goes to them, okay, let's see what we're going to have today. You haven't had steak in a long time, so we're going to have steak today. And with vegetables, no French fries, you're putting on weight, <laughs> so you're not getting French fries, and a little soup. 
before you start. It's kind of like your mom, in a way. As far as these people were concerned, they were going home to eat in their own home. Mm -hmm. And the same way you don't question what your wife or mother serves you, that's how they didn't question her. And they came to the deli for that reason and to be served only by Selma. Today, that has changed. The person who comes to the deli five, six, or seven days a week basically doesn't exist. And so we've become more of a sandwich place. Do you think it's because the kids these days are not as interested in those traditional food? More people kept kosher in those days. Or if they didn't keep kosher, they were traditional in their food eating habits. However, their children and grandchildren will go and eat anything. They don't keep kosher. So one day they go to an Italian restaurant. One day they'll go to a French restaurant. One day they'll go to a Mexican restaurant. So the day that they want to go into a Jewish deli, all they're going to have is corned beef pastrami or the deli meats, which is the reason why all those traditional Jewish foods are sort of falling on the wayside. And I've even spoken with the Hasidic Jews in restaurants, and they tell me that even their Jews, who are used to eating these traditional Jewish foods, for the Sabbath will even have sushi today. Oh. Kosher sushi, but they'll have sushi. So the eating habits have changed. Now, I, however, love this food. I actually drive around looking for different places to try to get ideas where they have the old-fashioned traditional foods. So I want to keep some of it still on the menu because that's what makes us special. That's what makes Second Avenue Deli Second Avenue Deli. Well, I heard that at one point you did try to experiment with the food. You tried to bring in some healthier options in because I've heard that that's also, you know, kind of a concern because people are more health conscious now. And some of this food, which I love, fatty, rich food, is not considered good for you anymore. I decided we have many items on the menu that are really healthy and people don't even realize they are healthy. The roast chicken. The chicken broth from the chicken soup, mm -hmm. salt-free, it's very healthy. The turkey, mm -hmm. certain salads. So what I did was on the menu, I set up a section called healthy alternatives. But then something surreal happened. All these items that we eat when it was on the regular menu sold. Once I labeled it healthy <laughs> alternative, it stopped selling. So I had to take the menu and go back to the original one and not call it healthy alternatives because it was because if it was healthy, the people did not want to eat it. So that tells me about um, why people are coming to the deli. They're not coming for healthy food. They're coming for comfort food. They're coming to, for comfort food, for nostalgia, for tradition, they want to have a good time and let their hair down. So it seems to me like this is kind of a vanishing cuisine. There used to be so many traditional delis and now they're only a handful. I think Ted Merwin, he's a professor who wrote a very famous book about Jewish delis. Correct. Um, 
he said New York was once home to more than 1,500 Jewish delis during the 1930s. And now just across the state, um, I think he said there are 20, and that number is still dwindling. I, th- I don't even know if there are 20 anymore. In Manhattan today, I can think of five maybe, in Manhattan, all of Manhattan today. Five of what you consider traditional kosher delis. Traditional delis. As far as kosher is concerned, there are only three kosher delis in the city today in Manhattan. Wow, wow. Uh, well, how about Brooklyn? Are there any in Brooklyn? Uh, you have a handful in Brooklyn also. Mm-hmm. But on a, they, the ones in Brooklyn are actually on a smaller scale. So why do you think so many delis closed? I know that, you know, Stage Deli closed in 2012, Carnegie Deli 2016, Fine and Shapiro 2020. Why do you think so many are closing? Two reasons. One, the customer base is shrinking. And number two, it's a question of finances being able to pay the rent. We had to move from 2nd Avenue and 10th Street for financial reasons. And I have to tell you, because it'll show you the reason why Jewish delis are going down and why the Jewish scene is changing. On 33rd Street, this must have been, I would say, around 2008, 2009, shortly after we opened there, a man walks into the store, middle of lunch. Tall, heavyset man, good-looking guy. And he walks into the store and goes, Ha! Ah, I smell Judaism. <laughs> and when I heard it, in a way I felt good that the deli meant something important to him and everything. But in another sense, I felt this is the reason everything is going down because the Jewish religion is more than just eating Jewish food. It's all our traditions. It's all our, it's it's so many different things. It's our religious books. It's our religious observances and everything. And if all he can say is this is Judaism, that's tragic, but that's the reason the deli is also going down. Mm. Did kosher procedures sort of affect the deli business? Was it a factor in delis closing down in New York? Surprisingly, my answer is no. And the reason for that is very simple. Many, if not most of the delis that were open were not kosher, even at the turn of the century. So I'm thinking of Katz's Deli, was never kosher. You have other kosher delis, but most of the delis were not kosher, to my surprise and chagrin, so to speak. When we came to this country, I was a little boy, of course, and people from Europe belonged to societies that were from the city that you came from in Europe. So my parents came from the town of Kilikov in the Ukraine, not far from Lemberg, a suburb of Lemberg. And they had a society meeting. And the meeting is one of the lofts on Houston Street, literally right next to Katz's Deli. 
Now I'm a little boy. My parents are religious and we all keep kosher. I'm wearing a skull cap, a yarmulke. And I walk into the meeting eating a hot dog that my mother bought me at Katz's Deli. And all the people started screaming, Nisht kosher, not kosher, not kosher. Because it said on the window of Katz's Deli, kosher style. Didn't say kosher, kosher style. And they weren't kosher. My mother just saw the word kosher. Mm -hmm. So she assumed you could go in and get it. And I still remember that story. <laughs> Second Avenue Deli is and was one of the few delis that always was kosher. So I have to ask, I know we're going to obviously talk about your brother. We, we can't talk about Second Ave Deli without talking about him. But I have to ask, you didn't set out to work in the deli. You were doing something very different. I'll give you a little brief background about myself. I was born in Italy in a displaced persons camp. My parents and my brothers survived the Holocaust through a series of miracles, were able to escape after the war to Italy, which was a staging ground for illegal immigration to Palestine. They decided not to go there to wait till the quota in America reached them, for to come to America reached them. And I was born in 1948, and we came to this country in 1950. My father was an immigrant, did not know the language. My brother was 19 years old when he arrived to this country, and he didn't listen to my father and go to school. He said, we have to get a job. There's a little boy in the house. Who's going to support him? And my father fought with him, but my brother won out. He went out looking for a job. Went to Coney Island, became a soda jerk. While he was there, a soda jerk, he watched how they grilled the hot dogs. And then he, he handled the hot dogs. While he was doing the hot dogs, he watched how they made sandwiches. And he learned how to make sandwiches. And he and two other gentlemen who were working together, also immigrants to this country, went to 2nd Avenue and 10th Street and opened up a deli in a former restaurant known as the Dirty Diaper, which was a dairy restaurant. And they bought out one of the partners right away. My brother bought out the other guy a few years later, and my brother controlled 2nd Avenue Deli. And he created the aura and the image of the deli to make, basically make it an institution. My father wanted him to go to yeshiva, go to school and everything, but he didn't do it. But he said, damn it, you're gonna do it. And that's, he stayed on top of me to make sure I continued going to school, stay in school and everything. I went to yeshiva to a religious school. On Fridays, we finished early because of the Sabbath at 12 o'clock. So what I did was I ran over to the deli. I was six, seven years old. I worked behind the counter giving people hot dogs. And I took money for the register and I put it in the register. That was my job. And it was very good because I learned math doing that. I went to college. I went to law school. However, I lived near the deli. And I kept my hand in it. So, for example, Thanksgiving Day, 
Christmas time, I would deliver orders. I was a lawyer already, but this way I enjoyed it. And my children, when they were off from school, they delivered the orders with me. And I, my kids loved make, getting tips. They got a kick out of it. They loved coming to the deli and eating because they were big shots in the deli. <laughs> you had some big celebrities coming there. Joan Rivers, Muhammad Ali, Joe we DiMaggio. Paul Reiser, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Sam Levinson. You name the people, George Steinbrenner, different players from the Yankees. Uh, everybody came to the deli. They still come. They still write about it. John Stewart, I think, wanted a sandwich named after John him. Stewart <laughs> is a regular. Uh, I, I don't like to tell uh, tell stories. What are your orders? For whom are your orders? Of course. <laughs> He's still a phenomenal customer. Uh, the weatherman from Channel 7 would actually feature us. Oh. On the weather. <laughs> How did Bill, he feature you on the weather? <laughs> what we did was, I speak Yiddish fluently. So what he did, we were joking one day <laughs> about how many languages, you know, people speak and that I speak Yiddish fluently. He says, let's do the weather in Yiddish. And that's how the, that's how it came <laughs> up. Can I hear some of it? <laughs> yeah. Hot in the morgen, the Himmel is klur, 76 grade. The wind is stark. It is warm. It is cold. These are the different <laughs> words I would use. <laughs> so you know, um, obviously, it it was uh, very popular. But also, uh, you guys have a tie to the Yiddish uh, celebrities because that was a seat, a hotbed of Yiddish culture. Second Avenue was was called the Broadway of the Yiddish theater. And we had stars from the Yiddish theater come in there. Fivish Finkel, Lillian Lux, Pesach Burstein, Tzvi Schooler. Now, Molly Pecans, that you would probably know her from Fiddler on the Roof. She was Yentl, the matchmaker on Fiddler on the Roof. But she was a major star of the Yiddish theater. She and my brother fell in love with each other. <laughs> when she did her biography, where do you think she had the book launching? In the Molly Pecan room of the 2nd Avenue Deli. Well, she has a name, a room named after well, her. Well, that's why. <laughs> and she was on The Tonight Show, and they were talking, and she goes to Helen Hayes. You may have a theater named after you, but I have a room at the 2nd Avenue Deli named after me. I'd say that's a win for sure. What was it like growing up with the Yiddish theater around you. I mean, it was obviously already, it was so important to both of you. The Yiddish theater was already dying in those days. They oh, so. all basically closed down mm -hmm. because they weren't doing the business. They had basically one theater really left active in the Yiddish theater, the Anderson Theater on 2nd Avenue by 3rd and 4th Street, some over there. And I actually went with my mother to the Yiddish theater. I speak Yiddish fluently and I enjoyed the shows. I didn't realize at that age how special it was until I got older. And then I realized how lucky and fortunate I was to have experienced that and done that with my mother. This was something special. And my brother would always 
be delivering food to the show for the uh, for the staff for the uh, for the actors and the show went on it was going on continuously so my brother would go into the theater deliver the food and sit in the back and watch the show a little bit and in minutes he would fall asleep and doze off and that was like a regular routine of his. <laughs> and you'd have to go and find him. <laughs> no, I actually sometimes delivered orders with him. And I'd left him in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And, but you, you, can't, you can't imagine for a little kid, there was so much fun. And uh, you guys decided to commemorate these stars in a very unique way. So on the corner there on 2nd Avenue and 10th Street, my brother put into the pavement there all the major stars from the Yiddish theater. What they built was a walk of fame with names like Miriam Kreslin and Arnold Perlmutter, now almost forgotten. But for a particular community at a particular time, they were as famous as any movie stars. Their names were engraved on plaques in the sidewalk, just like the ones outside Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood. Is the Yiddish Walk of Fame being preserved right now? It's, we technically don't have any rights to it because it's in the sidewalk and it belongs technically to the owners of the building who are there. And so far I, they haven't destroyed it, but I don't think that properly taken care of it. That must, must have been very difficult to I, leave that space, to see that going into disrepair. I actually wanted to create a walk of fame on 33rd Street by our restaurant. On 33rd, I have to go through permits and get authorizations from landmarks and this and that. I couldn't get past the city bureaucracy, so I couldn't put in. That sounds into the exhausting. Sidewalk. You wouldn't be the first person to yeah. <laughs> not be able to. And do And I that. feel very bad about it. I would have. I wanted. I'd like the tradition to continue. So when did you feel that you had to go into the family business? Was it when, when your my brother, brother was shot, unfortunately. My brother was shot and I had to sort of take it over because otherwise it would have just closed its doors. That must have been a very difficult decision for you. Did it ever cross your mind that I can't do this and maybe the time for Second Ave Delhi has come to a close? That must have been a horrible shock for the family. I remember I was sitting Shiva, and you start thinking when you're sitting Shiva. And I discussed it with my wife, and my wife, to her credit, said to me, you can't let the deli close its doors. The Second Avenue Delhi is a tradition. It means a lot to a lot of people, not just to us. We gotta work it out to keep it going. And so we did that. I know uh, when your brother passed, it wasn't only um, a tragedy for your family. It kind of rocked the New York restaurant community because there were so many people whose lives he touched. That's right. My brother felt he had a certain responsibility, not just to make money, but he realized the importance of the deli to the community, to the neighborhood. I could not believe who showed up for my brother's funeral. The building held about seven, 800 people, and we probably had close to a thousand in the building. Wow. 
outside who knows how many people. In fact, the very this very prominent rabbi, who was the head of a major synagogue uptown, he wanted to come to the funeral. And I know he wasn't there, so I didn't see him. The rabbi dropped me a note, and he said, I couldn't get to you. The traffic was backed up on 2nd Avenue because of the funeral. I could not get to you. Well, that's confirmation in itself that you needed to keep the 2nd Ave Deli going. That's right. What's the future of the New York Jewish Deli? There will be a future. What it will look like 10, 15 years from now, I can't tell you but I pray to God that I'm around to see it. <laughs> I know that uh, your children are involved in this business and that children, must have been amazing for you. My children are involved in it. They have slightly different ideas as me. That's why my son opened up this, the second floor lounge. We have on 75th Street location, a second floor, which is an upscale lounge. They serve alcohol and everything. Were you against the idea? No. <laughs> I actually encouraged my kids, and I said, you have to think out of the box. And I said, you're young enough to think out of the box. I'm not. We did that for that specific reason. We wanted to open up the restaurant to younger people. Two weeks ago on a Thursday night, I took out two friends to the lounge. Mm -hmm. My friends and I ate normal stuff from the deli. The entire floor was occupied. I don't think there was anyone over 35 there. Everyone was under 35, young people having a great time. The oldest people was myself and my two friends. <laughs> mm -hmm. That must be heartwarming to see. I enjoyed it. I had pleasure. But they're still preserving the traditions in their own way. <laughs> That's exactly it. So what they're doing is they're preserving the traditions, but going off in their own individual direction. And I'm assuming their children will do the same, go off in their direction, and at the same time preserve the traditions. And that's not very different uh, from what you and your brother did. Exactly. Well, what's more New York than that? Doing it your own way, right? Correct. This has been Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn, New York, in partnership with Citizen Race Corps. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce this show in collaboration with David Hoffman, who edits the stories. Post-production and original music by Jose Miguel Baez. Contributing producer, Jacob Ford. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. Outreach manager, Sarah Shalantano. And a special thanks to Mary Beth Eiley. You have till April 2nd, 2023 to visit I'll Have What She's Having, the Jewish Deli at the New York Historical Society. Find out more about timing, admission, and other exhibits at newyorkhistory.org. To learn more about the artifact in this episode, check out undiscarded.org 
And be sure to follow at City Reliquary on Instagram for facts and pictures. Head to cityreliquary.org to hear about the museum's mission, exhibits, and events. If you enjoyed this episode of Undiscarded, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and help spread the word. There are so many more stories to tell.